Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns. So together we could be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A. You ask the questions and we answer. I am here with my one of my favorite physical therapists, lit teacher, Kristen Williams. Hey, Kristen. Hey, everybody. We're wearing, we're wearing matching more core shirts. <laughs> I love that. We're like the inverse. Know, we know how important they are. They feel great. All right. So launching right into it, I got this message from Lena Starr on my Instagram page. She asked, why do so many physios and other yoga teachers with more formal education disagree on modifications to traditional yoga poses to make them more optimal and safer for general population? A lot of them say that body can adapt to anything and that suggesting that some poses can have less than positive outcome over the years caused nocebo. So you want to start with that? Yeah, I think again, when you're talking about, there are physical therapists and then there are physical therapists who do yoga. And I used to be the other, and now I'm the physical therapist who does yoga. Unless you have a real understanding of what people do in a traditional yoga class. It was so eye-opening for me when I first started doing yoga. Oh, this is why everybody's getting hurt and coming to see me, which is why when I found lit yoga, it was like a light bulb going off. So I think in many cases, it might be, I don't want to call it ignorance, but just not being really involved and seeing how much passivity there is to a lot of yoga. I mean, I teach stretching. I teach people. There are people who need to go into their ligaments, who need joint mobility, but that is me evaluating them as a physical therapist in the clinic. It is not me in the classroom as a teacher. I'm looking for stability because I know the population of yogis in general tends to be hypermobile, and that's a vague generalization, but they certainly, most everybody in the world, the population of the humans are weak. And so I think that's where what you and I focus on and what really made me gravitate towards your method was the focus on strength and stability and the proximal stabilizers. So I think that's the other difference too. We're looking proximally versus, again, having, it's a different goal. It's a different mindset and just we're trying to give what's going to benefit the most people. Yeah, and what she's referring to, for those who don't know, people are throwing around this term nocebo, and it's 
The definition is a detrimental effect on health produced by psychological or psychosomatic factors, such as negative expectations of treatment or prognosis. So I have seen also in the social media world, professionals, a lot of them aren't physical therapists, by the way, who use that term that there's a nocebo effect, meaning like if we say, hey, if you shift forward, this is detrimental to your anterior shoulder. And those people are arguing, you're putting that out there and that's going to actually maybe be as harmful as a soft tissue injury would be. And what I say is bullshit. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that is so full of crap. Yes, there are good movements and there are not good movements. We are not harnessed to produce all movements well. We're just not, like because we don't have these proximal stability. So I find that a very flippant response and a really like just kind of slingshot reaction to, you know, oh, the research shows this research. I don't really care. I know I believe in research too, but I also believe in looking at a lot of bodies and knowing that generally speaking, we can talk about how certain poses, how certain transitions in particular are not going to be great. They're going to wear and tear the structures and the joints that are made there to help produce movement. And so I personally get a little aggravated by that because I feel like, hey, let's practice you know, these deep knee squats with your knees going way forward and your heels coming up. Is that bad? No. Is it bad repetitively? Or when you're not prepared for it, yes. And some would say, well, we should prepare for it. Well, why should you prepare for it? Are you going to be doing that all the time? I'd much rather you really, really work on good sound, flexing at the hips with the neutral spine and with the co-activated trunk. That's going to take, you're going to do, hopefully do that millions of times in your life. So I think that it's a great question because I think that there are a lot of differences and, you know, some of the people will say, oh, the old school PTs and that just really gets our rankles because we're like, wow, what are you talking about? Because yes, we stay up to date on stuff, but some stuff, you know, the body isn't changing. We know some of this stuff and it's so obvious. And like you were saying in the yoga practice, traditionally, it's really going into these in ranges and most people are just aren't equipped to do that. And there's not a lot of value, quite frankly, going into those end ranges anyway. It's much better to find that balance, use stretching as a way of balancing out your body. And anyway, we could talk about this for a while. But yeah, I, I think what it does do is it makes people who are not in the profession start to question, well, should I just you know practice this because I'm going to be fine. My body's equipped to do it. And I would say, get training by somebody who knows what they're doing. It's not about being safe or playing it small. You can actually go big in your movement, but you really have to have a sound core to do that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even today when I was teaching, we were going slow and that's twice as hard as going, you know, you think about like a kettlebell. I mean, I'm not saying anything about kettlebell exercises, but it's a fast, it's a different movement pattern than when you really slow things down and and move with intention and purpose, but everything should have a purpose. And I think that is what, also drew me to this lit method was the intention behind every single flow is choreographed. It is thought out. It is not on the fly and Mm -hmm. it should never be on the fly. Someone would never walk into my clinic and I'd be like, you know what? You're going to do this because you came in with that treatment plan or I mean that uh, diagnosis. No, nothing is on the fly. Everything is planned and intentional. And so I think that's the difference too. 
Yeah. And what we're doing ultimately is helping rewire the nervous system. And so if you just say, oh, you should just move in the way you can and don't like talk about like what could happen if you didn't, I think that's just, that's not, that's treating somebody like a baby. We, we don't talk in a deleterious way. Like, oh my gosh, there's only a few things I'll really say, like, please don't do that because we're, that just is straining in a way that are loading a tissue in a way that I don't think is a good idea. But most of it is teaching you about how to connect and how to be more powerful. That's awesome. Yes. Okay. So Sir Ginolette asks, as a PT, do you believe that foot problems can be reversed? Foot problems that I have, Morton's neuroma, Hallux valgus, hammer toes, high arch. Wow. You got it all, sister. I really do. <laughs> or brother. I'm not sure who this is. Hmm. Well, everything, I don't know if they can be reversed. Okay, let's be honest. Because when you're getting to this stage, there's the hammer toes. I mean, that it takes a while for hammer toes to develop. Same with the, the other stuff. But it certainly can be improved. It certainly can be improved. I believe almost everything can be improved until we are a corpse because there's always possibility. What are your thoughts on that? No, I think it can... Things like Morton's neuroma, I would say, can be, you know, that can be if you change again movement pattern or posture, structure, you know, you can take pressure off of certain things. But like you said, hammer toes, they take a while to get there. Hallux valgus, that's a bony structural change, but it can maybe not be reversed, but certainly halted and slowed from getting worse. And then you'd be surprised how amazing the body is when you halt that process pain usually responds in the positive way where what bothered you, you see people walking around with horrible bunions, hallus valgus, and they have no problem. It doesn't bother them because they're moving in a way that the body has adapted well. And it's kind of halted that, what I would believe, it's, it's, it's halted an, an inflammatory process, you know, based on other factors because, you know, we are a machine, but we're also this machine that is built to, if something's not working well, something else can pick up. We have all sorts of detours in our body that if, you know, just like when you're driving around, oh crap, that road's closed. I'll go this way. Well, our body is the same way. So you might have those detours at your feet, but you have amazing capability to adapt. And so yes, through, like you said, it can absolutely, we are malleable. We are adaptable. Um, It takes work. It takes intention and focus, but the body is amazing at reconfiguring to work around. Think about people who are paralyzed or amputees, and I mean, they don't have feet, and yet there were, you know, it's so, it's an amazing structure. So don't let a diagnosis or a quote unquote deformity, again, talk about a nocebo right there. Don't let that get into your brain saying, Oh, because I have this, now I can't do that. Or I, you know, no way. You know, we are, the body is hugely adaptable. Absolutely. And there are things you can do, which is obviously wear better shoes, try not wear shoes, get your toe spacers, exercise your feet, on and on and on. Yeah. And um, for the Morton's neuroma, they, you can, if you haven't gotten it treated already, you can go and they have different little kind of padding for that as well, just to take the pressure off that nerve so it doesn't, you know, that can be painful for sure. But yes, it's all definitely improvable. <laughs> Launching off of that, Tori Butella asks, women who always wear heels 
and find flats painful? Did their fascia adjust and just bind up? Is that why it's now going from a heel to flats? I've seen people do that. I've even had people who had plantar fasciitis and could not go barefooted because it was so painful. They needed some kind of arch support so that the fascia was not getting that stretch impact on it. So I would say, yeah, that they've either already had a heel, a high arch, and then that wearing that high heel made that fascia just that much more restricted so that going flat-footed or with flats doesn't feel good. No, and that would be someone who, you know, if they were in coming to see me as a client, it would be, you know, we got to work our way down in steps, just like we don't train for a marathon. Well, you do. <laughs> Most people don't do a marathon with no training. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> when I was 18 up. years old. <laughs> that's, true, that's true. Yeah. Uh, but you know, you build up. So you would have to reverse that. So if you normally wear three inch heels, you drop it down to two and a half, you take it down to two, you take it down, you know, it's a slow, just like when people are, you know, being casted and we're trying to increase range of motion. It's the same thing because it's the soft tissue. Soft, it's soft tissue. You're going to have bony uh, joint ligamentous change that again can be adapted, but you can't do it overnight. So yeah, putting flats on a person who only wears heels is just the same as when you and I get in heels and we're like, whoa, this is so crazy because we don't, we rarely wear them. So yeah, Yeah, you have to adjust. You have to adjust. And I told those, take those little steps of getting a lower heel, a lower heel and letting that tissue adapt, letting everything adapt. The way you distribute your weight weight through your foot is going to change as well. This promo is brought to you by Spry Therapeutics. A few years ago, I got a Spry pillow right before a trip. I brought it with me to use on the plane because it was so easy to pack and I loved it so much on board that I brought it into my bedroom to use every night. As a physical therapist, I really love how the Spry Therapeutic pillow molds to my head, giving needed support to my weary neck. Spry Recovery is made with Flowform, a unique moldable technology that allows you to mold it into any shape without it returning to its original shape until you remold it. It's kind of like a soft putty that holds your head while you sleep or rest. The pillow can also be used in your yoga practice, offering extra support by contouring to your specific curves, promoting proper body alignment. You can do it in Shavasana or even meditation. Finally, the removable cover can easily be washed And the pillow itself can be wiped down with any household cleaner, just like your yoga mat. This cleaning ability is a safer option during COVID because it's easily sanitized. Use code LITFRIEND to get 20% off Spry products at sprytherapeutics.com. All right. There was a question from our dear Tegan. She wrote me an email and she said, you know, I've noticed that it seems like in a lot of yoga the emphasis is on not going into more thoracic extension, but almost hold a little flexion. I thought that was an interesting question. So she's like, are we trying not to go into more thoracic extension? So you want to take that first? Yep. So she reached out to me and I said to her, I said, this would be a great podcast question because, uh, you know, and she even said, you know, sometimes the way I cue it is different than the way you cue it. But I think you and I were on the same page I know we're on the same page because we yeah. talk about this. And so when we're talking about thoracic extension, now I would say, me personally, it's not that I don't cue thoracic flexion. I think for the most part, again, in generality, most people are overly flexed in their thoracic spine. This is not everybody. 
I'm someone who has a pretty flat thoracic spine. I need a bit more mobility. Flat meaning it's not flexed, but it's not extended. So I think where she was coming from is sometimes when I'll cue, you know, inhale the arms up. When we're teaching people as yoga teachers, teaching teachers to become instructors, again, going back to our very first question, we're looking at generalities where a lot of traditional yoga, it's a hyper flaring. For most people that we are teaching in the yoga world, it's, Lord, honey, knit those front ribs together. Now, we've gotten so good, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, since I've moved and I'm out of the lit yoga studio, if and when I open my own studio here, how my cueing changes, because I'm so used to seeing good movement that sometimes, you know, when you lift your arms up, there's a little bit, thoracic extension is good. We need it. Absolutely. We don't want, yeah. So, but yeah, so what what I think Kristen is trying to, because um, I, I know some people might be confused, the, thor- the thorax is the rib cage. And if you lift your arms up overhead, generally speaking, if you haven't really been balanced, yes. you're actually pretty tight back there. So you get your arms up and there's a pull. So where you give in the range for your shoulders and for your back is in the ribs, the ribs that are not connected to the sternum, the floating ribs. Most people can move there a lot easier than they can in more in the mid to upper back. And then of course, a lot of yoga, when you lift your head up, as you do a up, you know, in the sun salutations, you're lifting your head, you're really pushing that whole rib cage forward. And what we're saying is that has to be first controlled, but then it's like that not too much, not too little. You want to actually be able to lift the arms up and have the rib cage lift, have the thorax extend, and have a little bit of that opening of those lower ribs. But it's done from a balanced point, right? There's balance in the entire extension. So when I, I just recorded the spine module, and what I kept saying over and over again is that what we're looking for is balance and symmetry in the spine. So when one segment is doing something, the other segments are also doing it. But what'll happen is a lot of times people will throw their head back, get a ton of hyperextension in their cervical spine. And nothing's happening. Yeah, in the low back, because those work together. And then nothing's really changing in the thoracic spine. And the thoracic spine needs extension. Like yes. Kristen said, most people are around it. So I think it's one of these that we're really teasing out. There is active thoracic extension happening. You're actively, the intercostals are actively helping to lift the ribs up. And that gives a natural expansion to the rib cage. So I'm like you, I don't think I really ever cue flexion of the thoracic spine unless we're doing like cat-cow. Right. But the rest of the time, I'd rather it be a little neutral. And neutral in that range is not just, you know, it's in its natural position. Going into more extension, it gets a little bit less of that primary curve of kyphosis. But it, I want it to be like even with the rest of the spine as well. So like in cobra, for instance, yes, what we cue is cobra, a lot of traditional yoga, they call it low cobra, you know, because we're not really saying go up really high, but bring an equality to that. And I yeah. really, really that pullback of our hands, the way we cue that, that is thoracic extension. Your scapula is coming in, it's meeting, and that's a beautiful way of practicing it. 
And to your point, talking about the hypermobility of the cervical and the lumbar spine, how we don't move in the thoracic, the beauty of the way we try to teach, particularly those poses, cobra, up dog even, if you knit in those floating ribs, which are closer to, that's your thoracolumbar junction. So if they are not popping, that's usually a good indication that you've got a really nice abdominal brace going on. So all the extension is coming from that middle, which needs it so much. And then if you have a neutral neck on top of it, I mean, it's hard. So it's it's muscular, like you're working it. Yeah, It's active. Like you said, it is active extension. So I mean, I'll never cue in a cobra or an up dog, let those bottom ribs flare. No, it is pull in. It is, and then lift up. So you're getting that, you know. It feels so amazing. So people at home, you can do cobra. And when you're doing cobra, don't push down with your hands because then your arms become a lever and they have too much impact. And what they tend to do is push you into your low back more pull back and you really set that scapula right on the ribs. And then you just get this beautiful freedom to, I always say it's like the scapula is pushing your chest wall open from back to front. So it's a lot lower than the traditional like big cobras, but boy, does it feel good. And you can also do this like when you're taking a break from sitting at a desk because we're so flexed in our thoracic spine there is do, we've talked about this before, getting at the doorway bringing your arms in a goalpost at the doorway and just really actively, but again, you're actively, you're not spilling the ribs, but you're pulling your chest through and getting that beautiful thoracic extension. The other thing I would say, speaking of Tegan, I know that I've been queuing a lot with her and people can relate to this because she lifts her head a lot, not a lot, but less so now. So like when she's lifts, so Tegan, you know, I'm talking to you, but this, a lot of people do this. And some of it I think is a reflex. It's like, Oh shit, I'm going my hands. Even if you're not fearful, it's just a, it's a habit. Get too much cervical extension. And that actually, to me, I feel like, again, it kind of blocks that thoracic extension. In a handstand, I'd rather you be really extending your thoracic spine so you can lean your scapula right on your ribs and have the neck a little bit more neutral. So I think it is actually counter to what she thinks. We actually really do want. We're trying to cue more thoracic extension, just not excessive. Even when she and I were talking about this, I think the maybe the part that I was missing with my conversation with her, so I know she's going to be listening to this because I told her to put it on here. When I'm talking thoracic extension, I am considering it more middle. You know, I'm not wanting, I'm not saying flare those bottom ribs. It's more, they're going to lift, but it's an up. It's not yeah. a forward. So, because I, I do, I'll cue it a lot, you know, just like I kind of called a baby back then, but with, you know, lifting up and out, you know, yeah. so trying to get, again, that balance of, of everything coming up. I wish you got, well, maybe you will, maybe we'll put this on whatever you do, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that lifting up. Well, I always, I always say people put in your mind that visual of the high jumper or the pole vaulter. Because I think that is a perfect example. They lift and they have to really, they're lifting their sternum up to the throat. They're like really getting it. Yeah. Yeah. So that is that, not not pole vaulter, high jumper. Yeah. To get your, fling yourself over that thing. (laughs) 
The Fosbury flop. That's what it's yes. called. The Fosbury flop. So you're not rounding at all. And so what you're saying, and people can visualize it, if you put your hand right on the center of your sternum, like at the sternal notch, that's pretty, when we're in neutral, that should be pretty kind of flat. What we're trying to do is actually lift it up almost as if we were trying to slightly tilt it up towards your chin. That's where Kristen's talking about getting that extension, not from the bottom flaring. Yeah, yeah so I'll call it like Superman chest. Like you have yeah, your, exactly. You know, get your Superman chest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I love that. So everybody's going to walk a little taller just from thinking about that, spreading the chest wall and feeling nice and tall. Well, these were great questions and we will be back next week for more. Thank you so much as always. Love you. I love you. And all of you, we are pulling for you. 